0: Hi, and welcome to another episode of Gomology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. Now, my guest today is kind of a legend in the denim world, <laughs> a legend certainly in the Manchester area. Uh, I'd like to welcome Joe. Can you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Joe from Joe & Co. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks. How are you? Marvellous. Marvellous. So, Joe. Yes, mate. Shall we start out by talking a bit background, or would you like to uh, tell us about the Joe & Co brand first? Whatever, whatever's, whatever's good for you. You start where you want. Let's go back in time. Okay. Far back in time.
1: Way back in time, eh?
0: To when, I don't know, you were late teens wondering what to do with yourself. The Twilight Zone. You thought, work in the garment industry, or? Garment industry, yeah. I mean, God
1: got to be around about 1980, 81. As you've seen in, in the, in the, in the short movie that we did, uh, I started off my trade in the menswear trade at Stone from Ivers in Manchester on Brown street. Me and Johnny Ma started at the same time. That would be Johnny Marr famous from the Smiths. Indeed. He went not there that long. He went, go and went to go and work for Sue, X clothing around the corner after a while. And the rest was history with Johnny. Uh, I stayed at Stone from Ivers for, for a little bit. Then I moved on to another place called Justin's, Young Justin's on the same block, which is round all this is all around the area of the market center, the underground market, Market Street. It was buzzing. So you're talking about 1979, 1980, 81. And it was a time where everything was changing, the clubs were changing, the music, the genres were changing, it was getting really exciting casuals were coming into force yeah yeah they were good days very good days going out doing the town doing all the bars the clubs seeing what was going on and you got to know a lot of people through working in the shops it was amazing then round about oh god in between that i did a i did a horology and jewelry course at open tech in open in manchester just outside manchester because we're a family of watchmakers and barometer makers. And great-grandfather was a German immigrant. And uh, we settled in the south of Manchester. I mean, the family are from Colliurst and Hume. So we settled in a place called Hanforth, south of Manchester, on a council estate. And uh, like I say, my father was a watchmaker. And he passed out when I was, a, I was a kid. I was 13. And uh, we moved out of the area... Went to North Manchester, so we did all around North Manchester. Ended up settling in Didsbury, South Manchester. Then started work at the Daily Express as a runner. Messenger boy. And Like I said before, it was in, we said in the short film, it was one of those jobs where if you, when you get to 18, if you haven't got a union card, you can't have a job. And if you haven't got a job, you can't have a union card. It was proper old school, very, very closed shop. So there's no future there for me. Even though our kid was working there, there was no future there for me. So uh, I ended up working for Stone from Ivers. Just went in, asked for a job. Yeah. Jobs were that easy to get in those days. And that's how it all started. I remember a day one of the salesmen came in, and he came in with all these shoes. They must have lined this one shoe up. It must have been about 30 pairs, all in different colours. They were called Kios. I don't know if you remember them, it's from way back. And they had every colour under the sun. And Ivor and the gaffer, the other gaffer air went, well, So, lads, what do you reckon? What colours should we get? And I went, Every fucking one of them. We need every one of them in. And they came in and they just went, Boom. Now, bearing in mind, in the late, early, very, very early 80s, Ivor had 12 stores all over the northwest of England. And there was no computers in those days, everything was done on paper. No fax machines, I don't think. Not from memory, anyway. And uh, everything was all internal paperwork. So you're shipping stuff out from different stores and everything. It was a great. It was, it was just a great time. Proper old school. Then I did that horology and jewellery course, which lasted about six months. <laughs> Couldn't handle it. It was micro engineering. It was mad. So I left there and ended up going, working in Justin's. Justin's choice. Stayed there for a while. Then I ended up 1982, 83. And a place called Phil Blacks, Phil Black Luomo Royal Exchange Arcade, Mint. What sort of shops
0: were they? Can you can you describe them?
1: Ivers was selling like oh god, what was selling the kios? It was, it weren't fast fashion, then. it was I can't remember what they were selling in there. God, what was it? Chow, ball jeans, Levi's, Wranglers, Lee. So there was no really branded stuff in those days when I went to Justin's, they were selling, like, again, same again. Levi 501 was the big one. Then you had all, like, your regular cord, King Cord, Lois. Then all, all the grafters came back from Germany when they went on the trips, on the ragging trips, come back with all, like, your Daniel Hector, all your Rolexes, your diamond rings, all that kind of stuff. And it wasn't until I went to Phil Black's, really, that really kicked in because he was doing like Emporio Mani, Riccardo Beanie, Fiorucci, Classic Nouveau, Trenchcoat, Armand Bassi, and Gianelli. loads of different brands. We'll go to Florence to buy all the gear. We're doing the London shows. It was great. But it was just one of those love-hate type of like relationship type of thing. So around about 1987, I'd had enough. Fucked off for a month. Fucked off to Marbella for a month. Come back. Went back working for him for a tenner a day, the cheeky fucker. I was skint. Anyway, it was, a, like I say, it was a love-hate relationship. Ended up leaving there about 87. And I started working for a pal of mine called William Hunt. And at the time, it was it was called Just William. So I went out and bought myself a nice little car. Running around, selling all the wares and tears for... Just William, girl called Sue Barnes, which is ladies' wear, and there's another menswear brand called Robin Goodwin, who made leathers, and the leathers were just unbelievable. Now, what you've got to bear in mind is all this was all made in Manchester. It was all made, we all, we all moved into this little warehouse on Sackville Street in Manchester. There's Trevor Johnson, who's another Manchester creative. Graphic designer, superb kid. He did all the stuff for like all the hacienda, uh, Manchester Town. All he did all that kind of stuff. He was great. Uh, Nick Johnson, who out, who now owns Altringham Market and a few others. Uh, we moved in there and we just started selling and stocking from there. We well, was getting to a stage where I was selling all the gear, but I weren't getting paid because we couldn't deliver the stock. So I thought, fuck it, I'll go and start my own. So I started Joseph Jeans. Started off doing T-shirts. Then I started doing shirts. Then we did the jeans. All this was in a very short period of time. Then we did all the trade shows. Did 40 Degrees in London. So going up to around about 1995, we were doing, must have been doing around about 300, 350 doors in the UK. Stores us in shops. Yeah, we were doing about 50,000 pairs of jeans a year. 500 shirts a week. All made it. Jeans were made in Preston. Shirts were made in Manchester. Sweatshirts were made in North, in uh, Nottingham. Colville. All around that area. Uh, and they're getting up to around about 1998, 1999. The Preston boys shipped all the production out to. Uh, Pakistan closed the closed the units down shut all the laundries down and just started making out there around about 1999 all went pear shaped we got we got fleeced it was used as a cash cow anyway it all went pear shaped then they opened a store in Stockport where I lived in eating more and we just started buying brands in I fell out with the industry fell out with manufacturing completely. I was very, very bitter about it. It was very bitter for about, phew, God, about five, six years. It, it really affected me. And it cost me my marriage. It cost me everything. Anyway, we had five years in, uh, had five years in eating more in the shop there. Then we moved that over into t- town centre in Stockport. Got an old shop, four storeys, big basements, big cellars, two floors, extending to another floor. That was superb. We spent a fortune on it. I had two good years there. We moved into Stockport in 2005 because what they were doing is they were spending money on the town centre. They were doing all the town centre up. So it was like £750 million investment going into the town centre. Now, the investment was coming from Stockport Council and from a company called Lendlease in Australia. And they all started work on it. Everyone was buzzing. We had two great years there, 2007, 2008, we had the crash. It just, everything got pulled. We had an extra three years round our neck of a lease and it was really, really tough, really tough. We ended up closing shop 2010, but between 2007 and 2010, we were still doing the trade shows in Berlin, you know, like, Buying your stocking, buying your goods in for the following seasons. So I come across this company called uh, Commonplace. Lovely little girl, I she was, lovely. I just messaged question to do small runs. She went, yeah. So like, that was it, 30 pairs. We'll do 30 pairs if you start off. We work with a mill called Neon Mempu. Anyway, they sent the jeans in, boom, and it went like that. 165 quid. Then were expensive
0: and he went and that's how Joan Coe started who was buying those expensive jeans back in 2010 well
1: funny enough the drug dealers I shouldn't be surprised I guess (laughs) drug dealers and we had a guy a couple of guys that came in there was a foundry in Stockport where they did all the sheet metal stuff and all that they came in and bought a few pairs and that was it for a while and we started doing shirts, and we started doing T-shirts and sweatshirts, doing little prints. Then I uh, I opened a little uh, little unit in, in town, moved into a little shop in town. Well, it was an office, but we turned it into a shop. And it basically, it was my little, my little unit where I could distribute my stuff from, get the internet up and running, and sell to people that come in the shop. And we was only there for 12 months. Around about, God, time flies, don't it? And while I was doing that, building that up, I ended up, well, I was working for our kid, doing it. My brother owns a chauffeuring company. So I was doing a little bit work for him. And as my business was growing, I pulled back from the chauffeuring, sacked it, and ended up on altering. Someone says, you, you need altering good market. You want to get an altering good market. you fucking joking at you. I said, I'm not going to sell jeans on there for 70, 80 quid at a time, because we were manufacturing in Turkey at the time. I uh, selling to shops. Anyway, I got shafted off this shop. I'm not going to say who it is. And they ended up sticking the jeans in the stores for 25 quid, 600 pairs. I weren't fucking happy. So I laid off for it for a little bit until they'd sold out. Then I went top end, pure salvaged denim. Oh, nothing, nothing since. Nothing, nothing but since. And, er, uh, I had a few, pa- I had about 100 pairs left. I'm not going to sell jeans on the Mortingham market fucking 60, 70 quid. Not in a million years. You're having a fucking laugh, aren't you? Anyway, I went down, looked at, it, had a word with the owners. Anyway, I knew the owners. They used to have a bar in town called Atlas Bar, Nick and Jen. So I went when I had a word with him. And I looked at the place and I thought, fucking hell, this is all right. This, the place was hammered, it was even. So I started off with one little stall there, welcoming with open arms. I started with one little stall. But at the same time, I was doing another brand called Northern Couture, which we built in the shop, built up in the shop. You know, I had a little store brand. So I did the two and I'm still doing the two. It's mad. But the Joe and Co. It just, uh, people came and we just smashed it from day one. And, that, and we built it up. I ended up, do, ended up, with six, star, six units, six stars, four for Joe & Co, two for Northern Couture. Northern Couture is a little T-shirt and sweatshirt brand, that, like I said we did in the store, but top-end quality T-shirts and muscle athletic sweatshirts, and we just do Manchester prints, music, Manchester culture, all that kind of stuff, little cash cow. But like I say, Joe & Co is the main one, so we built that up, Got involved with a little shirt factory in Anco in Hardwick. Started working with Cookson and Clegg. Then they closed down. And he's another little factory weren't that brilliant. So he's put the block on that. And Cookson and Clegg reopened and went back to Cookson and Clegg. And I thought, I've been there ever since.
0: How would you describe the Joe and Co brand now? Luxury workwear. For the Mancunian lad, or for everyone.
1: It's not for everyone. No, it's not for everyone. It's, it's not just for the Mancunian lad. It's just beautiful luxury workwear. Timeless. Classics. Beautiful fabrics. Attention to detail. What more could you
0: ask? And locally made, using... All,
1: all made locally. Obviously, you know work with Chris at Hewitt's. We work with the Japanese mills, Neon Mempu, Collect, Karabo, Kuroki... Italian mills, we work with Candiani, we work with Blue Selvage, which is part of Berto. I've worked with loads in the past, worked with Tavex, Montebello, Swift, Mosters for my moleskins, San Sandarina for irregular cords. Some great mills there, and they're still going. But I'm happy with what we've got at the moment. We're always looking out for new stuff, always. But it's finding that right mill with the right fabric who are willing to work with you and like what you're doing to get you small runs. Because years ago, yeah, I'll have uh, 100 metres of that. No, you won't. Minimum 500 metres. No, nah, I can't with you, lot. So you, you build up a reputation. You build up a report with these mills, and especially with the agents. Some of these agents are fucking wankers, mate. They're not interested. They only interested in themselves, and if they stayed with it, they would have built up a reputation with them. They would have been earning fortunes. But no, Albiati, fantastic mill. Albini, fantastic mill for shirtings. Superb. The English agent do not want to work with you, so I'll just go direct. Not rocket science. It's hard work, though, breaking down barriers. It's hard work, man. But
0: we're there. What's your secret?
1: It's nice to be nice, don't cost anything, does it? We don't give any out of the bullshit, we don't do any of that. We tell them we tell it, we say it how it is. We don't take credit, pay for it on the nail. Done. Get it in, promote it,
0: get it out. That is one of your your ways, isn't it? You do small runs. Small runs. Often. Is that the trick to making customers keep
1: coming back? Customers come back because they like what you're doing. They like the quality. They love it because, it. listen, all this made in Britain, made in England, all that, it's great. But you can't live off stuff that's made in England all the time. It's not impossible, but you'll never get anywhere unless you throw big, big dough at it. We haven't got that kind of big dough. We don't want to go out and borrow money and all that and get investors in. It's nine times out of ten. You're out you your arse within six months. They're only in it for the bottom line. That's what happened last time. Investors came in, got all these loans, quarter of a million pound here, quarter of a million pound, and they used it as a cash cow. And I ended up being the fucking fall guy for it. You know? So, no, don't look at people like that. You can do it. Do it yourself and grow it. And you get more respect for it. So, but yeah, we've got a good little business and we keep flipping it. We flip it every two weeks. New styles coming in all the time.
0: That strikes me as being a problem... When people talk about buying less, buying better, um, having something and keeping it for a long time, yeah, you can do that. You can do that. You can do that, and you can do that on small runs. But you
1: can also expand that. You're not restricted to where you can sell it. I sell worldwide. I have pals coming over from the states, just buy it specially, and they go back and happy, and if they haven't got the size. I'll make it for them out oh. the shirt factory. I'll send it over to them. I mean, obviously,
0: it's a little bit more expensive, but they're not bothered because they're getting a made garment, specially made for them. The thing was, though, that if a guy buys a pair of trousers and uses them for three years, that's not really good business because you'd like him to come back and spend some more in the meantime. Yeah, We will do. He'll come back
1: and buy shirts to go with it. You'll wear 10 shirts, against for one pair of jeans. You can wear jeans every day of the week for 12 months, but you can't wear your shirt every day for 12 months every day, can you? You've got to change, You've got to change your tops so I will sell I will sell seven to ten shirts to one pair of jeans.
0: Now, you're making stuff pretty locally now. Yeah. you made stuff offshore in the past. Yeah. Sort of, uh, how do they compare?
1: How do they compare? One, making the UK, it's easy to control. I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it. In this game, in the, Tur- the Turkish, you can't trust them. Right? And I'll tell you the reason why. You get your samples in, you do your samples, you get your samples in, your samples are great. You get your production, they swap the fabrics. Ouch. Italy, do not happen unless they're screwing you. Do you know what I mean? <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: That's, that's my experience. But I work with Italians and I do work with Turks and we do, you know, it's, it's mad. But having said that, Turkish production is great. Portuguese production is great. UK production is great. But if you've got a problem over in Europe, you've got to get on the plane and get over there and sort it out. Time and money.
0: Whereas Cookson & Clegg is just up the road
1: from you, isn't it? Cookson & Clegg's 40 minutes away from me. And just because it's made at Cookson & Clegg's doesn't mean it's necessarily mean it's any good. You've got to be on it. they a great factory, absolutely superb. But just because it's made in England doesn't necessarily mean it's any good. Trust me on that, I'm telling you. I mean, that.
0: that, that I think that's part of the thing, though, isn't it? Because made in Britain... Has been hyped up so much, but it is only the made in Britain part that actually has any validity, because it doesn't have any guarantee of quality, and it doesn't mean that it's guaranteed working conditions. Boohoo, make in the UK, and it's fucking shite because sweatshops in Leicester or whatever. Yeah, like I say, just because
1: it's made in England. Don't necessarily mean it's any good. You've got to choose your factories and your factories have got to choose you. You've got to work with them factories. So you've got to have a report with that factory. You've got to be, you know, if they're willing to work with you and do what you want to do, then you're through the door, aren't you? you just got to keep on top of it. I mean, my genes are, you know, look at Cookson and Clagg. Japanese salvage they make for, for his neck. What's he called? I can't remember his name now. Patrick, whatever he's called. Community Clothing they use Japanese salvage and they make it and they sell the jeans for 60 quid they're making fuck all my jeans cost me nearly as much as that just to make them and that's just that and what you've got to bear in mind is when you're making a jean a, a, when it's a salvage denim you're using 2.8 to 3 metres of fabric for one jean now my fabrics come in between 9 quid and 20 quid so you can imagine some of them fabrics there that costing me 20 quid there's sixty quid just in fabric. Then you've got your makeup on it. Then you've got your then you've got your markup. I can't wholesale those jeans. There's no margin in it. That is part of
0: your model now, isn't it? You don't do any wholesale anymore. It's no. all direct. No,
1: no. I want wholesale. Is I've wholesale before in the past, and uh, you can't get paid. They want to send the stuff back. They sold it. They want to buy more, but they can't afford to pay for it. So you put your the account goes on hold. They can't afford it that much, so they send it back anyway. They give you the orders and they cancel it. They end up with loads of shite. you end up with loads of stock. That's not sold. Then you have to discount it to get rid of it, especially with your short sizes. Now, when you're making big runs, you can do your short legs, your 30 leg, your 32 leg, your 34, your 36, your 38 leg. But when you're making small runs like me, you do a 33 leg and a 35 leg. It's not rocket science. Just go out and get them shortened simple, isn't it?
0: I want life to be simple. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, it is just jeans, isn't it? Yeah. But it's the quality of the jeans and the quality of fabrics. Is there a specific design for sort of Mancunian jeans? Is there a speciality there, a special look? Not that I know of. I Someone suggested to me that the rear pockets hang a bit lower for that Manc look.
1: No, it's just the way they wear the jeans halfway down the ass. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> my pocket's a little yeah my pocket my back pocket is a little bit bigger than the normal cuz it can get a full wallet in it and it can get your phone in it and it's a good feature i wanted to ask you about the mank mac yes the mank mac english fine cottons and ventile yeah made in bolton
0: and english fine cottons they have recently sort of re-established the british uh, cotton mill in Manchester.
1: Oh, yeah. What a story that has. And what lovely people to work with. Absolutely. I I got a grip of Andy Ogden, who's the MD at Make It British in London at the Business Design Centre. And they were talking about doing all these fabrics and all this, doing this mill up and all that. And I thought, I, 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 I'm going to get onto something here. Anyway, I've been working with him ever since. Been working for him day one. And what a fantastic story. Short person, can you tell me? Well, they've just basically, they've basically, they've bought a mill. They've bought an old cotton mill, tower mill in in, uh, in Duckingfield. And they brought it back to its former glory. Put all the spinning machines on one of the floors. They they're manufacturing there. The spinning yarns there. And they've got their own little design team. All knitted in Leicester. Died in various places, home, Perth, bury, and it's all sent back to the back to the back to the back to the mill, and all my stuff is all hand cut and shaped to all our specs. They have their own specs there, obviously, because they all sell their own stuff, but all all my stuff is all specced up to our own spec. You're not going to get anything close to it, nothing. And the mank mac. A meant, the fabric that they had there that they were using was a development fabric that they were working with. And it's it's got all the same properties as Ventile, but you can't call it Ventile, obviously. And uh, we did it in Navy and Camel. So we used up all their development fabric, and now we work with Ventile for it. But Ventile's more expensive. Also made in Switzerland. <laughs> Initially, it was, it was developed at the Shirley Institute in the 1930s in Manchester. Same as the Harrington jacket. You know why it's called the Harrington jacket, don't you? Right, remember the series, Paint and Place, in the 60s? Ryan (laughs) O'Neill. Before my time. (laughs) Ryan O'Neill played the main character. He was called Rodney Harrington. Ah. And the jacket that he wore was the Barracuda jacket, which was renamed the Harrington after Rodney Harrington.
0: That's the Barracuda G9, isn't it?
1: Yeah, the rest is history. They've all worn it. Steve McQueen, Paul Newman, me. (laughs) But yeah, then this, then it got sold. To, the Italians bought it because I used to sell Barracuda in my store, and it was I was selling it at 125 quid. It's now 295 quid for a Harrington jacket. Red Wings were the same, 135 quid for Red Wings. Then they shipped all the uh, they moved the distribution to Amsterdam, and it went up 30 percent. And now they've just increased, increased, increased.
0: I suppose they were increasing price until they stopped selling. Great boot, isn't it? Yeah. Aren't they as popular as they once were? Mm, I think so.
1: Not the best boot in the world, but everyone seems to jump on it. But I work work with Sanders. I work with Sanders in Northampton. They make all my shoes for me and my boots. Tell me more about that. Right, Simon. I met Simon years ago when he used to head up... uh, What's the brand called now? John Smedley. Used to buy John Smedley off him. Then he moved over to Sanders, and used to see him at the trade shows. And a couple of a few years ago, I thought, "I'm gonna stop. I'll do it." we it's a top. We're a top-to-toe brand. head to so, so we'll stick the footwear in. So I went and had a conversation with him because he was going to use that Solavea, and uh, I had a word with Simon about minimums and stuff like that. And we got down to uh, a certain figure, and they make my shoes for me and my boots. On what I want, we do, we're doing one now at the moment. I don't know if you've seen it. We're doing like a, like a 9 holer oxblood. Like a Dot Martin oxblood red, burgundy colour. nine-holer, with a toe cap on it, like a derby boot. But it's got the new ripple sole from Vibram. The black ripple sole, which also comes in white. Uh, so we're working with that. That's due in November. But we're also doing a, gray, a full grain leather mock toe in brown and black with the same sole unit. but they're not cheap. You're looking at 360 quid to 420 quid a pair. It's not an everyday purchase. You know, like I say, it's not for everybody. So uh, basically what we do, we get them sampled. We wear it. We test wear it. We test drive it. We promote it. Get on Instagram or wherever we do it. We get feedback off it. And if we get no feedback off it, it'll go into production. Then they'll go for pre-order. So we try and sell half of it before it comes in. Because you pay for half of it, you get paid half of it. Your production's paid for, isn't it? You pay for it, wait for it.
0: very prudent business tip there.
1: We do that with we do that with the jeans. We get a feed. We sample it. We test. We do it with everything. We test drive it. We get it made. We test drive it. We shrink it. We can see what see where everything's going wrong. And if we have any problems with it, we manipulate the pattern and get it right for that. Then we put it out. I like to get shirts, put it on, get photographed get the models in it, get the, get it all photographed, do a little story behind everything, then promote it and people see what's coming in. Oh, I'll have that. I mean, it's like that jacket I've just done, that Nanosphere jacket with the 2B1 twill, like you've seen with the British M- Union Jack lining in it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's got a Nanosphere coating on it. It's all three already. We've not even gone in production yet and it still needs manipulating. I want that.
0: Are these, these are your... Regular buyers who are just, they know the quality, they know what you do. Yeah.
1: And we give the story behind each garment about, give the story behind each garment, the fabric, the the mill. We're very transparent in what we do. If it's eco-friendly, if it's not eco-friendly, it won't be get done. It's, uh, no, we enjoy what we're doing. It's interesting. It's exciting. So Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'm at Autragon Market. Monday, is your paperwork. Wednesday, Thursday, is you running round your mills and your factories, making sure everything's all right. Get your buttons done. i will be buttons made in Somerset, but Courtney buttons. They bought, they bought, they bought David Courtney top kid, Bought an old button factory. He bought. I'm trying to think of the name of the mill now that he bought the name of the factory that he bought. James Grove. James Grove. Yeah, I used to buy me buttons off them. They went into like administration. He bought it redeveloped it or whatever he did with it crows all natural buttons from the Ecuadorian rainforest made it made in the factory ethically dyed sent to me straight on my shirts we choose
0: our own colors we choose our own shades we we'll dye them to order now it strikes me when you went through your week there that you never have a day off no so how many employees do you have at Joe & Co? I mean, who is the co? Me. I am Joe & Co. I, I, I do it all myself. I'm a one-man band. So you're living the brand
1: 100%. 110%. Love it. <laughs> I do, honestly. You, you get up in the morning and I think, right, fucking crack at it. But I can, work, I, I, can, I can work till 11, 12 o'clock at night, researching, get the MacBook out, See what else we can look for. See what else we can manipulate. See what everyone else is doing. You know? There's some great brands in this country.
0: Some great brands. There are a lot of British brands now, and there's new ones every day. But not many are as hardcore on the, the UK-made, UK fabrics as you are, though, are they? No, I wouldn't say I
1: Well, I don't know. There's that many out there. You don't know who's out there, to be honest. You, you only come across. You only see when you come across them on Instagram, or you get mentioned in conversation. I mean, I'm sure there's loads of brands out there like me, but I don't hear of them.
0: You think it's the smallness of your brand that means you can focus that much closer on what you're doing? I guess also that you don't have a huge organisation. You don't. I mean, you, you've got one person's salary to cover. Salary. I, all right, not, I assume you're not well, doing it you
1: know, for, for the love hey? of uh... <laughs> no I don't I, I do it for the love of it of course I do we love it you know like I say I get up in the morning I'm, I'm buzzing and I'm buzzing till I go to bed so I go to bed at, so I go, sometimes I get kicked kid back one o'clock and I'm up at six titivating getting days planned look at the emails what's coming through look at the Instagram what's on Instagram see who's doing what you're looking at everything you look at everything, you look at prints right back from the 50s, right back from the 30s, the 20s right right through, you look at everything and if something catches your eye and you can work with it and you manipulate it, crack on. The only stumbling block is your fabrics because a lot of beef fabric mills do know what to do with small brands and when they do they want their big minimums. It's pretty shocking really. But you know they've they've all got they've all got the businesses to run they've got their you know they've got mouths to feed just like everybody else so they need the big numbers so they can put their numbers in with their with their suppliers with their yarn people and their dyers they don't want to be holding on to stuff but right what have you got what, 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 what have you got what have you got in small runs let's have a look and I'll take it off your hands it's not rocket science.
0: you get the impression a lot of the factories are very set in their ways they've been doing what they do for so many years that they don't really want to try anything else.
1: No, the factories want the big customers, don't they? They all do. They all want the big customers. People like me, they're not... I'm fortunate at the factory that I've got, they they love what we're doing, and we've got a great uh, relationship. But, you know, you go and get 100 T-shirts made, they want 100 of a colour. So you want three colours, you've got to do 300 T-shirts. 150 pairs of jeans minimum. Going up to 200 pairs a minimum. Now, 200 pairs of jeans on one fit.
0: It's a big pile.
1: Yeah. But I you use four fabrics and do 50 pairs of each. 200 pairs, four fabrics, 50 pairs of each. And each fabric is different. So you've got all your all your threads are different colour threads on each ones. All your trimmings are the same, your buttons, your rivets. It's just your thread colours and your pocket bags.
0: Now, we were talking about direct versus wholesaling. Am I right in thinking that also affects the pricing, that if you're having to factor in the wholesaler's cut, the prices have to go up? 30%. So by buying direct from you instead, the customer's actually getting a better deal. Yeah, and
1: we're not cheap. I mean, you know, those jeans that you've got, they should retail. Realistically, at 260 quid. In an ideal world, at 260 quid. In a retailer's. I'm fortunate I can do them for 200 quid. I did have them at 235, but reduced them to 200. You can ask me why now, aren't you?
0: Why was that, Joe? Why was that? Pray tell me.
1: <laughs> because I can.
0: <laughs> because you're not paying yourself a salary. Yeah. I'm skint. From the goodness of his
1: of his heart. The goodness of my heart. But yeah, when yeah, when you're looking at it, let's let's for argument's sake, let's say a gene cost you all in hundred quid. For me to wholesale that gene, I'd have to charge a hundred and thirty quid. Yeah? So and ten percent of that would go to the agent. Or twelve percent. So he gets his commission. So hundred and thirty quid. Everybody likes the buns, don't they? 130 quid times three. Because everyone wants to get a free margin. 130 times three is 390 quid.
0: That's an expensive pair of jeans.
1: An expensive pair of jeans for me to wholesale. That's if I was doing them at 100, if they were costing me 100 quid. And I was wholesaling them. But I can do them at 200 quid. Because I'm not wholesaling them. And they still moan. And there's only 50 pairs. And you look at Edwin... And, all right, I'm just giving you Edwin as an example, or Nude as an example. Some of their jeans are 165 quid, 195 quid. How many pairs is there? Thousands. Fucking
0: 50 pairs of mine, and they still fucking moan. I think there is a certain segment of chaps that will moan at any price above about a tenner. There's too fucking many of them. They come. They, I'll give you the classic. Come on my stall the other day.
1: How much your jeans, mate? The 200 quid. Fucking hell, there, dear. I'll give you 100 quid. I says, i will give you the fucking crack. Now, fuck off. Go and get three pairs of jeans up the road there for, for 100 quid. Can I? Of course you can, yeah. He comes back and says, are you taking the piss? I says, fucking right it was. Just like you are taking the piss out of my prices. I says, no, mate, I'm sorry. I says, I'll have them. Get it all the time. Honestly, it, 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 how much your T-shirt's 50 quid? I'll give you 30 quid. See ya. But they'll end up coming back and buy, and spending five or 600 quid. I just don't understand the men. But they'll go out and buy a T-shirt for, for the
0: tenner and moan about it. Is it because men are so hardwired to have to have a deal, they have to have a discount, they have to feel they're getting something better?
1: Everybody loves a deal, don't they? Even I love a deal, but don't go around shouting about it. We all love a deal. They don't seem to understand the amount of work and effort that goes into it, and especially when there's so many small runs of it. Fucking get Edwin for a pair of 150 quid. Well, come and get a fucking pair of Edwin. How many pairs is there? You go in every fucking pub. The guy's got the same jeans on in each pub. Oh, you go in the pub, you got Edwin, Nudie, Redwing. You see where I'm going with this? Yeah. Everywhere you go. They're like fucking lemmings. All I'm doing, I don't get I don't get involved with the industry, I don't get involved with anybody, I do I, I I get on and do my own thing. If you don't like it, no big deal, but don't drive me fucking mad. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and what we do, we do well. And we explain that to them. And once you've explained it to them, listen, love, there's my card. Check us out online, see what we're up to. Gives you a nice little story. And if you fancy it, if you've got any questions, message me on the messenger and I'll get back to you within the hour. If I'm if I'm not kipping, I'll get back to you. If I'm kipping, I'll get back to you when I'm, when I'm awake. And we, we give a great customer service, an absolute second turn on customer service. Because we want to make sure that customer is happy with the product that he's got. And if he's not happy with it, and it is a fault in it, bring it back and we'll sort it out. And it's very, very rare that happens. Because if there is a fault with the fabric, we'll get to know about it beforehand. So when it's in the manufacturing, you can get a manufacturing fault. It's a slip of a needle. You can get a new guy being trained on the machine because the other one's left. So he's not left enough fabric to sew the waistband on. So the waistband will come off. So it's all those little things that you've got to look at. So you've got to go and do your factory visits. You've got to go and do your mill visits. You've got to be on top of it. Because if you're not on top of it, they're certainly not. So I'm curious, who is the typical Joe & Co customer? Me. I make things for myself. I make it because I like it and I'll wear it myself. And if anybody jumps on that, I'm happy with that. As long as they're happy. So there's no typical, there's no typical customer. You, you, you can't really put a finger on it. I get guys in there, 6 foot 4, 40 waist, built like a brick shit house, A farmer. Or I'll get a guy coming and he's an hedge fund. He's got, he's got an hedge fund company and he'll, he'll spend over a grand and he'll, he'll, he'll buy the full outfit. Got your barbers, your motorcyclists, your scooter boys, your casuals. It's, a fact, you know, it, 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 it's quite an expanse. Just because we're making in the UK and we're based in the UK doesn't mean that we can't make for it and ship worldwide and have a massive audience. Do you know what I mean? I did a collab. My pal's on Gola. So we did a collab with them. We went into the archives and brought this high top out. You've seen the high top yourself.
0: Yeah.
1: We did the high top. Retails at 75 quid. Better than Converse. First it gone. Second it half gone. Then we did a trainer with them. Again, went back into the archive. Stripped it, put our stamp on it. Put different colours in it. Different sole unit. 100 pairs. 25, 25 pairs of a colour of a trainer. It's unheard of. And they're brilliant. Great people to work with. Joe, your shipment's in. Right, how much do you owe your bum? Right, there you go. Get it in. But they are made in Vietnam. If they're made in the UK, they'd be 200 quid. But I want something to get in get out. Like I said before, you can't rely on the UK manufacturing at that level all the time so you have to bring stuff in you have to make stuff abroad
0: to survive i think what you said about you being your own typical customer is is a pretty good answer really because that makes me think that you personally like everything you make i wouldn't, make it, you wouldn't make it no even down to the socks whilst Let's say many other companies they are trying for to follow some fashion, some trend, making stuff that they hope will sell, will catch on.
1: No, they're looking—they're hoping for bottom line. That's all they're thinking about. It's a tin of beans for these people, especially your corporations. It's all about your bottom line. Well, it is about mine, your bottom line, you know. But if I don't like it, I won't make it. If I sample it and I don't like it... it I go in the wardrobe. and never come out. How big is your wardrobe? Eh? <laughs> Which is the <laughs> Not big enough. Not big enough. I just look on a storage unit for all that. <laughs> got a garage full of gear. Got a unit full. You got a storage full of gear. And we sample
0: like buggery. Making sm- small runs all the time. Does that yeah. also mean that you manage to avoid discounts and sales? What do you mean? Wait. You're making so few that you will sell them out. Uh, half of them will already be sold on pre-order. Yeah. So you're not stuck with with a stack that you have to discount to get rid of. No.
1: I don't have a sale. I don't discount. I look after people. How much your jeans make? Two hundred quid. How much are you gonna do for? Who are you? I've never seen you before. You've never spent with me before. Why would I would look after you. Come on and spend a few quid and have a chat with us and have a coffee with us and you know maybe after you spent a few a few sales. We'll look after you. Then you become a regular then, don't you? Because you know you like your gear. You're not buying it as a one-off. I've got quite a lot of regulars that come in. Anything you in, they'll see it on... Oh, fucking hell, i seen it online. you in on Sunday, Yeah, you know I mean? Right, stickers are large for that. But they'll come in and buy a large, and they'll buy something else to go with it.
0: It does sound like the best sort of customers.
1: Oh, we have some great customers. But we have some wankers. I, listen, as I'll say how it is. And black and white, we're very, very transparent. You want to take the piss, you'll get it back. It's that simple. But what we do, we do well. And I'd say we're probably one of the best jeans companies in the UK. Just, I'd say we're one of the best small,
0: small brands in the UK. I was going to ask you, as a one-man company, how much time you have to spend on social media but I have realised now that you're up at the crack of dawn and you go to bed not far off from that, so you are working all the time.
1: Yeah. That's why I'm single, because I've, no, I've, got, I've got no partner pecking me. head. Get off that phone! <laughs> I'm on it all the time. And I use
0: it for business. How much does it contribute to business?
1: hell of a lot. If you're not on social media, you know it's changed so much, hasn't it? I remember building websites in 2000 costing fortunes was fortunes building websites and all you're doing is getting ripped off every time and now you've got all your platforms like your shopify your weebly or whatever you call it shopify is great but they're changing all the time then you've got to get your links in with like your facebook and your instagram and all that's changing all the time the algorithms are changing Oh, your adverts are changing, your Google ads, your Facebook ads, your Instagram ads, Twitter ads, all that. It's all changing all the time. So you've got to be on it all the time. So I've just started a kid working for me now. He does one, maybe two days a month, sorting it all the back end out, make sure it's up to date. All the, all the algorithms are all right. Because they it, it, it keep kicking out, so your Facebook shop's not on your Instagram and your Instagram shop's not on your Facebook and your website's not on your Facebook and your website's not on your Instagram and it's all broken links and you've got to go back in and check it all and re-instig- reinstigate it, re- reinstall it. It, it, it. It's mad. Do you find you have to spend a lot of money on paid promotions? No, everything I do at the moment's organic. We're starting to do paid promotions shortly. But then again, that's another story, isn't it? That's another, you know, you've got to throw, got to throw a big dough at it. You've got to throw a big... Big money at it. If I spend a grand on advertising, I want three grand back. Well, at least. At least.
0: I remember I was speaking to another brand a few years ago and they could sort of tell when their Facebook ads weren't working Yeah. because the orders just stopped up. Yeah. Yeah, I get the
1: same. I get the same. So you've got to have someone there at any one time going into it and have a look at it and make sure it's right. I do all that and I'll just get, I'll just message him, sort that out. But then they bill you for your time. So your £1,000 ad is not a £1,000. It's 1,500 quid. Could you pay the kid 500 quid to sort it all out for you? I'm not, a, I'm not an Instagram expert. I'm not a Facebook expert. I'm not an ads expert. So you have to bring that expertise in, and that costs money. So it's a fine line. And then you're not guaranteed you're getting your sales. It's like these companies' SEO. Yeah, give us a grand a month for SEO. Well, it'll take about six months to get you to stop at a list. Fuck off.
0: Do it myself. Even I get emails several times a day oh, got, from people trying to sell me that.
1: I've got, I get up in the morning, I've got about 60, 70 emails. All shite. Delete, delete, delete. I don't even read them because you know what they are. Delete, 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 delete.
0: Now you've been in the game for, God, so many years now. Yeah, I've, I've lost it twice.
1: Lost everything twice. Part to blame myself. Circumstances. Not knowing or thinking you know what you're doing, but you don't, and you, you make cock-ups. I'll hold my hands up me, but it won't happen again.
0: Where do you see yourself in 5, 10, 20 years? Where would you like to be? Where would I like to be in 5, 10 years? Out
1: of this fucking country. I really would. It's gone to pot, man, it really has. There's no respect. It's, it's You're getting lied to through your back teeth. They'd say one thing, they'd do another. They're lining their own pockets. Corporations are running the country, aren't they? Everyone else are just puppets. But there's always more ones. There's always more way than skinning. One more way than skinning a cat. So I just get on with just get on with everything and do it to my best of my ability. And if I can earn some decent money out of it and have a decent living out of it, I'm happy. As long as everybody else is happy with what we're what what we're providing, what more can I say? I love working with Chris. I love working with Chris at Uits. He's the guy. is such a nice guy and so knowledgeable. And he's helped me out. And they don't have to, but they love what we're doing. Couldn't have asked for such a nicer
0: person. You mentioned Chris Hewitt, Hewitt Denim. This has been your opportunity to make kind of the fully British pair of jeans, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, I met him a few years ago in London. We had a little chat and it's just what just went from there. Just massive respect for him. And what what he wants to do and what he wants to achieve.
0: He also has a totally remarkable story. Yeah, and I'm sure I'll be part of that in the in the near future. It'll certainly be interesting. I, I really enjoyed hearing how how he didn't give up underway real human endurance.
1: Oh, he's a top kid, isn't he? It's passion. You can't beat it. It's better than doing a night-to-five night and going home knackered and getting up in the morning and going back to the same job that you're doing and you don't like it. Anything else you'd like to interject at the end? No, well, we, like, like you know, we, we just finished that film, aren't we? We're, do, we're doing some short films. Years ago, if you if I saw a picture of myself anywhere, I'd fucking get rid of that. I don't like it. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. But you, you, you it's it, it's your job. It, it's you know, I'm not promoting myself and promoting my business. I hate putting pictures up of myself in the gear. I hate, I do, but if it's promoting my brand and it gets my brand sales, then I'm happy to do it. And I'm getting more used to it. I'm getting more used to. Uh, doing the videos and stuff like that and doing it without scripts and just doing it off my tongue. And I find it a lot easier. So what we started to do, we started to do some short films about where the brand is, or where, about, ideally, I'd like, to, I'd like to call it Back Into The Future. So we're going back to our old mills of where the old mills, where they are used to get all the fabrics from, up to the new, not the new mills, but the old mills being converted into new, into, into new technology. And everything else is in between. So what we're going to try and do it's because, like I say, we're pretty transparent. We'll go to one. We'll go to one mill. We'll pick the fabric out of the mill. Then we'll go to the factory where that factory's being the stuff is being made. We'll take photographs and images and little films of the stuff being made. Then we'll get them in, get the models in them, and all the models and your pals. They're all friends. We don't, you know, we look after them. And We go out for a day, get all the food in, get all the beverages in, and we just have a great laugh and take all the photographs and pick and choose. And the same with the film. The first film was about how I started and who we use up to a certain level and uh, where we're going. So we'll turn those, it we'll turn all those little films and the smaller ones into blogs, and it gives you an idea of what we're up to, where we're up to,
0: what we're doing, and where we're going. So, when you first started making jeans, I believe in the mid eighties. Yeah, and then you made some with the Japanese company later on yeah how do they compare to what you're making now what i'm making now are 10 times better than what i've had in the past are they style-wise similar i suppose jeans there have been some jean je- denim trends
1: yeah we've done all the back we've done all the baggy jeans we've done all the carpenter jeans with all that manchester has the end uh manchester and all that we've done all that that's gone finished forget it put it in a box put it in the back forget about it now Like I say, we'll do one or two styles of jeans. I'm doing one at the moment. I do one fit, but each. like I say, each one is different. And when you're selling jeans online, it's hard. People want to try it on. That's why I think shopping's going to come back in a big way. A bit like the vinyl. It was all CDs, one it, and tapes. And vinyl just went. Vinyl's coming back massively. I was in HMV the other week. I've never seen so many records in all my life, vinyl. And there's some places in town or in the areas that I do vinyl nights. Forget your CDs and your mix. art. Do it on the vinyl. Proper old school. Pretty sure I read somewhere that CDs were also making a comeback. <laughs> yeah, listen, it might be. I've got a fucking stack there. As long as it's not tapes. Ta- I don't mind tapes. I've got some cracking music on tapes, but I haven't got a tape deck. <laughs> all the old 80s, soul. Some great stuff. So I'd like anything. Different genres, it? How can, how can I say it? What kind of music do you like? Well, I like all sorts. It's a mood thing. It's like, what type of C-shirt do you wear? So It all depends on my mood. I can wear a medium, because I like like like, like, like it fitted and put, an, put a shirt over the top of it. Or, I'll go for a large, and it's a little bit looser. For me For me, that's fine, because I can just pull it out of stock. But for the actual person who's buying it, he's got to decide whether he wants it tight-fitting or do you want a regular-fitting, do you want a medium or do you want a large or do you want a double-extra-large? I mean, now we go up to three XL. We go up to a forty-two waist in the jeans, size thirteen shoes. Double XL, triple double XL in the jackets. If you want a triple XL, I'll make it. I'll make it but it'll be it'll, it'll be a little bit extra for you because I have to stick it on the back end and have a, a new not a pattern, I have to have a new. I have to have it graded for the next size, and it's not cheap, you know. So I've got a kid coming back to me. He's coming back this week. I just made him a four XL shirt. Oh, the fucker fits him, because he's not getting his money back. <laughs> no, if it don't fit him, I'll make it again. It's No big deal. I'll put that on the rack. And I'll see someone walking through the street. Fucking hell, got a shirt for you. Got your name on it. Come and see me in a bit. What? All oh, right. And he'll, he'll come back a week later. So that shirt you mentioned. Let's have a look at it. Fucking hell, that's nice, isn't it? Oh, it fits great. I'll do the deal on that, mate. Because I've already paid for it. Someone else didn't want it. There you go. Knock him thirty quid off or something. Because it'll only just sit there. And see where I'm going.
0: Is there anything we
1: should cover that we haven't covered? We've got stuff coming in all the time. We've got this. We've got this. Got this new. Uh, got this new bomber jacket coming in. Well, there's two actually. We've got uh, that nanosphere one. The two by one twilled nanosphere with a British Union Jack lining in it. Then we've got another one coming in. It's like a uh, with a granddad collar, stud collar. Made out of uh, Cordura camo. stunning. It is. It's absolutely stunning. We've got to doing that in t- two fabrics. We're doing it in like a twill fabric that I do machinos in. Doing that in the jacket. So you got your navy. No, you've not. It's love green and fawn. It's like a beige. Then you got your camel. Then in the. Two B One Twill, you have got your navy, and I'll probably do that in the I'll probably do that in the in the chino twill as well. But it's getting the rib collar right. The ribs a bit too thick at the moment, so we're looking for a little bit of a a more of a rigid rigid collar on it. So yeah, it's uh, there's a lot going on at the moment. We've got uh, got the footwear to come in. We've got the boots to come in. Got to do some more trainers. We've got the three lots of jeans to come in. I've oh, got about another six or seven styles of shirts coming in in various fabrics. They're dropping every, they drop every week. got your caps, you've got your bucket hats, got your socks, you've got your belts, your leather wear, your key rings, your wallets. Then we've got all the jersey stuff coming from English Fine Cottons, which I can't wait to get in. Some unbelievable sweatshirts, jackets, superb. It's like a, it's like a sweatshirt cardigan Big buttons on the front. Two side pockets with two front pockets. The detailing on the sleeves. Superb. Got that coming in three colours. Navy black and military green. Then we've got the hoods. Then we've got your granddad's, your Henley's. Got a new Henley, Henley colour coming in. We've got a new Henley bib coming in. Got a new Henley short sleeve coming in. With the rib sleeves. In three colours. We've got the bags to come in. It's like you tote bags, your camouflage tote bags, your denim tote bags, and your bandanas.
0: I'd just like to mention now for those listening who can't see the look on your face when you leant back on the sofa there and gazed into the distance with such a look of satisfaction on your face while you were mentioning some of these items. Yeah. I mean, I can clearly see how much you care about what you're doing. Oh, I, listen, I, I
1: buzz off it. I do, I really do buzz off it because I enjoy it. I enjoy it. I really, really, I want... I want I wouldn't know how to do anything else. Okay, Joe. Bye-bye, and uh, thanks for now. Thank you very much. Good to speak to you, Nick. Always a pleasure. Anytime, you know that. And when you come over, you know where I am. Come see a proper company this time.
0: (laughs) Thank you very much, Joe. that's all for this week's episode of garmology if you'd like to check out my guest further there's links in the show notes there's also links to uh, how you can uh, support the pod by buying me a cup of coffee she's perfectly optional i'm just pleased you're listening if you'd like to get in touch suggest a guest just let me know what you think it's uh at gmail.com you can follow me on instagram as welldressedad so until next week bye bye